Hello and welcome back to the DPT School Study Guide. In today's installment, we will be going over the third and final section of exam two review, and we will be going over the fill in the blanks slash notes for the genitourinary system. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into it. So today we will be starting off by talking about urinary tract infections. Um, the urinary tract infection is when bacteria invades any part of the urinary tract, including the bladder and slash or urethra. And it is most frequently occurs in women and older adults. The pathogenesis is when E. coli um, is the bacteria, which accounts for 80% of infections. And the bacteria are able to colonize and adhere to the urinary tract and cause the infection. Some clinical manifestations for urinary tract infections include frequency, urgency, dysuria, and nocturia of urination. Some fever, chills, and malaise are some subsequent clinical manifestations as well. And UTIs can be diagnosed via urinalysis, and they are treated with antibiotics, TMP, and SMX, which increases the uh, fluid intake. Moving on, we will be talking about polypylonephritis. And pylonephritis is an infection of the kidney. Acute polynephritis is an infection of the kidney, whereas chronic uh, polynephritis is an infection of the kidney, parenchyma, and the renal pelvis. The pathogenesis of polynephritis is most commonly caused by E. coli, and it's an infection that ascends from the urinary tract. Chronic polynephritis is defined by scarring with deformity of the calyces. Some clinical manifestations of polynephritis is the onset of signs and symptoms, which are usually abrupt, and these signs and symptoms are fever, chills, malaise, headache, and flank pain, and it is diagnosed via a urinalysis and it is treated via antibiotics, and polynephritis may require hospital admission for IV antibiotics and hydration. Moving on, we will be talking about renal cell carcinoma, renal cell carcinoma, and renal cell carcinoma occurs more frequently in males with peak incidence between 60 and 70 years, and there are four different types of renal cell carcinoma. There is clear cell, papillary, chromophobe, and collecting duct renal cell carcinoma. The pathogenesis of renal cell carcinoma is a genetic abnormality that causes unchecked cell proliferation. Some clinical manifestations of renal cell carcinoma include flank pain, hematuria, and a palpable abdominal mass. And symptoms associated with metastasis are most commonly in the lungs. Renal cell carcinoma is diagnosed via imaging, whether it be CT, MRI, or ultrasound of the renal mass, and it is treated through surgery to remove the mass, but it is usually uh, a nephrectomy, or nephrectomy rather. Next up on our list of diseases, we have renal cystic disease. 
and renal cystic disease is a cavity filled with fluid or renal tubular elements making up a semi-solid material. And there are six different categories of renal cystic disease. The first is polycystic kidney disease, which is hereditary, and it is the leading cause of ESRD, or end-stage renal disease. The second category of renal cystic disease is cystic diseases of the renal medulla. The third category is acquired cystic disease. The fourth category is single cysts. The fifth category is cystic renal dysplasia. And the sixth category is miscellaneous renal cystic disorders. So polycystic kidney disease, or PKD, can manifest as autosomal dominant or autosomal recessive. Autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease is one of the most common hereditary disorders in the United States, affecting more than 600,000 Americans. Autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease may not manifest symptoms until the third or fourth decade of life. And autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease is evident at birth and can cause death early in life. So the pathogenesis of renal cystic disease, most renal cysts form from the epithelium of a pre-existing renal tubule. The epithelial cells secrete fluid into the tubule once stimulated by endocrine, paracrine, and autocrine regulating proteins. Expanding cysts can then create pressure on surrounding nephrons and then cause damage. Some clinical manifestations for polycystic kidney disease a family history of PKD, pain, hematuria, fever, or hypertension, enlarged kidneys that are palpable abdominally, and cysts are often asymptomatic and found incidentally on routine urographic examination. The diagnosis for uh, any renal cystic disease is through ultrasonography or MRI, um, and there are different categories for symptoms based on age. So if you are less than 30 years old, at least two cysts in one kidney. If you are aged uh, or if you are of age 30 to 59, at least two cysts in each kidney and greater than 60 years old, at least four cysts per kidney. The treatment of renal cystic disease is to monitor hypertension and pain control with an analgesics such as Tylenol. Moving on to our next disease, uh, kidney stones. So kidney stones are crystalline ranging from popcorn kernel shapes to jagged starburst shapes and sizes and can cause urinary obstruction and severe pain. In the year 2000, 2 million doctor visits and 177,496 hospital stays were due to kidney stones costing over $2 billion. The pathogenesis of kidney stones is when the urine becomes oversaturated with crystals and they can precipitate and then enlarge as urine remains oversaturated. Obstructions most commonly occur in the ure uretopelvic junction where the ureters cross over the common iliac artery and the, ureto, the 
urito-ovesial junction. Some clinical manifestations of kidney stones include acute flank pain radiating to the groin or perineal areas with hematuria, which is blood in the urine. It is diagnosed through CT and X-ray scans to visualize the stones. Kidney stones are treated through IV fluids and medications to relieve pain. Alpha blockers and calcium channel blockers are commonly used because they relax the ureter and increase fluid pressure, allowing the stones to be flushed out. Moving on to our next disease, we have chronic kidney disease. And chronic kidney disease is the alteration of kidney function or structure for greater than or equal to three months of duration. The most common causes of chronic kidney disease include diabetes, hypertension, and glomerulonephritis. End-stage renal disease, or ESRD, is the final stage of chronic kidney disease with the loss of kidney function accompanied by symptoms requiring either dialysis or a kidney transplant. The incidence of end-stage renal disease is higher in the African-American population compared to the general population. The pathogenesis of chronic kidney disease is damage to the nephrons due to hyperglycemia, high blood pressure, and inflammation. The loss of nephron function The kidneys are unable to adequately regulate fluid, electrolytes, and pH balance or remove metabolic waste from the blood. And the extent of damage is measured by glomerular filtration rate. So if the glomerular filtration rate is less than 30 milliliters per minute, it is equal to chronic kidney disease. Some clinical manifestations of chronic kidney disease include the onset of symptoms, usually being very gradual, a decrease in glomerular filtration rate, an increase in protein in the urine, and a blood urea nitrogen increase. Some clinical manifestations of chronic kidney disease also include Systemic symptoms, such as anemia, Um, in the cardiopulmonary system, we'll see hypertension, congestive heart failure, pulmonary edema, dyspnea, and coronary artery disease. In the GI system, we'll see bleeding, nausea, and vomiting, and anorexia. And in the nervous system, in our central nervous system, to be more specific, we'll, we'll have uh, headaches, irritability, seizures, lethargy. And in our peripheral nervous system, we'll experience paresthesias, tremors, muscle cramps or twitching, foot drop, and weakness. Chronic kidney disease is treated by treating the underlying diseases, such as diabetes or hypertension. And to prevent the loss of kidney function, dialysis or a kidney transplant can also be used. Moving on to glomerular diseases. Uh, Glomerular diseases are a group of conditions that damage the glomeruli, which are the filtering units of the kidneys. Nephrotic syndrome is a result of any disease that causes damage to the kidney filtering units. It is associated with proteinuria and 
diabetes, amyloidosis, membranous glomerulopathy. Another example of glomerular diseases is uh, nephritic syndrome, uh, disorders affecting the kidneys, which are associated with hematuria, uh, lupus nephritis, immunoglobulin A, nephropathy, acute diffuse proliferative glomerulonephritis, and some risk factors for glomerular diseases include diabetes, age, race, or obesity. The pathogenesis of glomerular diseases include, uh, well, to start uh, with nephrotic syndrome, um, damage to the glomerular epithelial cells, which allows larger molecules such as proteins to escape out of circulation into the urine. And its causes are not well understood, but immune complexes and complement system may be involved. In nephritic syndrome, the rupture of the capillary wall or proliferation of mesangial cells leads to hematuria, and it is caused by depositions of immune complexes and inflammatory processes. In nephritic syndrome, uh, we see, excuse me, in nephrotic syndrome, we see proteinuria, greater than 3 grams in 24 hours, hypoalbuminemia, hyperlipidemia, lipiduria, and edema. In nephritic syndrome, we see hematuria with abnormally shaped erythrocytes, oliguria, which is low urine output, hypertension, and renal insufficiency. And the way that I remember nephrotic versus nephritic is nephrotic has an o in it and so does protein so nephrotic protein proteinuria and nephritic has hematuria the treatment for glomerular diseases include an ace inhibitor or an arb to control blood pressure and to reduce proteinuria in nephrotic syndrome and hypercholesterolemia can be treated with statins if there is anemia, erythropoietin can be given. Yeah, fluid is restricted. And diuretics can be given to reduce edema. Diseases with immune-associated injury often require prednisone, cyclosporine, or cytotoxic agents. Treatment of the underlying disorder. If the disease progresses, dialysis or transplantation may be necessary. Moving on to urinary incontinence. Urinary incontinence is defined as normal bladder function. Urinary incontinence may... Excuse me, I misspoke. Urinary incontinence may be defined as a complaint of involuntary urine loss. So the complete opposite of what I originally said. Um, stress urinary incontinence is the complaint of involuntary urine loss... Um, on effort or physical exertion or on sneezing or coughing. Urgency urinary incontinence is the complaint of involuntary loss of urine associated with urgency. The prevention of urinary incontinence can be uh, proper floor, proper pelvic floor muscle contraction, proper lifting techniques to minimize unnecessary increase in intra-abdominal pressure, 
Urinary incontinence can be diagnosed through a bladder diary, a urinalysis, or urodynamic studies. Urinary incontinence is treated depending on the type of incontinence, the person's age, and general health. And uh, the treatment is conservative, pharmacologic, and surgical intervention. Moving on to neurogenic bladder disorders, the pathogenesis of neurogenic bladder disorders include um, a cerebral injury that leads to the loss of voluntary inhibition, avoiding, and a hyperreflexive bladder, but coordinated sphincter function is retained. The ability to completely void, but incontinence occurs. Brain tumors, cerebral palsy, cerebrovascular accidents, dementia, Parkinson's disease, pernicious anemia, and shy Drager syndrome are all associated with neurogenic bladder disorders. Lesions in the micturation center to S2 results in the loss of voluntary inhibition and coordinated sphincter activity. Dissynergistic dis dis sphincter function, um, high pressure along with urethral reflux, spinal cord lesions, ischemia, multiple sclerosis, myelodysplasia, and trauma are all associated. A complete spinal cord injury above T5 or T6 leads to autonomic dysreflexia, which is the loss of sensation of bladder distension, which results in overdistension, and it's associated with the loss of sympathetic inhibition, which also leads to hypertension, facial flushing, perspiration, and headache. A spinal cord lesion at S2 and below lead to bladder areflexia and dysfunction of the external sphincter. Overflow incontinence and uh, acute transverse myelitis, diabetes, Gillian Barr syndrome, herniated intervertebral disc, myelodysplasia, pelvic surgery, syphilis, and trauma are all associated with neurogenic bladder disorders as well. So there are different types of micturation pathology uh, flaccid hypotonic neurogenic bladder which may result from peripheral nerve damage or spinal cord damage at the S2 or S4 level. After acute cord damage, initial flaccicity may be followed by long-term flaccicity or spasticity, or bladder function may improve after days, weeks, or months. This is associated with a loss of contraction, large urine volume, and low pressure. Um, Another type of micturation pathology is spastic bladder, which usually results from brain damage or spinal cord damage above T12. The bladder contraction and external urinary sphincter relaxation are typically uncoordinated. Um, detrusor sphincter dyssynergia dis is associated with involuntary contractions and the Urine volume is normal or small. Sensory neurogenic bladder occurs when there is a disruption of the nerves between the bladder and the spinal cord or the afferent nerves to the brain. 
affected people will not recognize the need to void, leading to bladder hypotonicity with urine retention. Common causes include diabetes, syphilis, and pernicious anemia. Motor paralytic bladder results from destruction of the parasympathetic motor nerves that innervate the bladder. Symptoms range from mild inability to initiate or maintain a urine stream to painful urine retention. And uh, this is caused by extensive pelvic surgery or trauma. Uninhibited neurogenic bladder refers to damage of the corticoregulatory tract, a disinhibition of the micturation center leading to incontinence. Conditions that can lead to this type of pathology include cerebrovascular accidents, brain-slash-spinal cord tumors, Parkinson's disease, and demyelinating diseases. Some clinical symptoms include frequency, urgency, and urge incontinence. Next, there is reflex neurogenic bladder, which occurs when there is a complete disruption between the sacral spine, the sacral spinal cord and the brainstem. The bladder lacks sensation and the person is unable to determine when the bladder is distended. can be seen with traumatic spinal cord injury or transverse myelitis. Autonomous neurogenic bladder refers to complete separation of sensory and motor nerves of the bladder from the sacral spinal cord. Damage to the sacral roots, cords, or pelvic nerves can lead to this dysfunction. Clients are unable to initiate voiding and there is no bladder sensation, leading to large volume bladder capacity and distension. And some treatment for neurogenic bladder disorders. Uh, The goals are to include to prevent incontinence, bladder over-distension, UTIs and renal damage, catheterization, pharmacologic agents such as Botox injections can be used, bladder training, um, biofeedback and surgery are all viable treatment options. Moving on to our next disease, uh, prostatitis. Uh, prostatitis is the inflammation of the prostate gland. Uh, acute bacterial prostatitis is an infection, whereas chronic bacterial prostatitis is the underlying defect in prostate, becomes the focal point for bacterial persistence in urinary tract. Chronic prostatitis slash chronic pelvic pain syndrome. 90% of cases are chronic prostatitis, and it is a non-bacterial prostatitis, um, inflammatory A and non-inflammatory B. And then the last type of prostatitis is asymptomatic inflammatory prostatitis, which is the presence of white blood cells in semen without pain or discomfort. The pathogenesis of prostatitis is assumed to be an infectious or inflammatory process. Autoimmunity may play a role in chronic prostatitis. 
Pathogens associated with chronic bacterial infections are gram-negative enterobacteria. Pathogens associated with acute prostatitis include E. coli, pseudomonads, staphylococci, and streptococci. Some clinical manifestations of prostatitis um, for bacterial prostatitis, which are categories one and two, includes uh, urinary frequency, urgency, nocturia, dysuria, urethral discharge, high fever, chills, malaise, myalgia, arthralgia, pelvic pain, and urinary tract infections. For for chronic prostatitis, which is category three, um, some clinical manifestations include urinary frequency, urgency, dysuria, erectile dysfunction, ejaculatory pain, decreased libido, pelvic pain, and urinary tract infections. For asymptomatic inflammatory prostatitis, which is category four, um, asymptomatic infertility is the main clinical manifestation. Prostatitis is diagnosed through urinalysis, the analysis of an expressed prosthetic specimen, palpation of the prostate gland for changes and enlargement. It is treated through um, antibiotics for bacterial prostatitis, for which is categories one and two. For chronic prostatitis, category three, it's treated through biofeedback, pelvic floor re-education, alpha blocker therapy to relax the smooth muscle of the prostate, and treatment is mainly to relieve slash control symptoms. And for asymptomatic inflammatory prostatitis, category four, there is no treatment recommended. Moving on to our next disease of benign prostatic hyperplasia, um, which is age-related non-malignant enlargement of the prostate gland. 75% of men greater than 50 years old experience symptoms of an enlarged prostate. Some risk factors include age, geography, if you are in the United States or Western Europe, uh, more than Far East, uh, and cigarette smoking are all risk factors. The pathogenesis of benign prosthetic hyperplasia is that as men age, the ratio of new prostate cells to old prostate cells shift in favor of lower death of lower cell death. And by age 70, the hypertrophic pot prostate can weigh up to 200 grams, resulting in significant urethral obstruction, decreased urine storage capability, and difficulty in emptying the bladder. Some changes in hormonal balance may be responsible for the development of benign prostate hyperplasia. Some clinical manifestations of benign prostatic hyperplasia include the narrowing of the urethra and urinary outflow obstruction, the increased risk of developing UTIs, bladder distension with destructive bladder wall changes, hydroureter and hydronephrosis, and benign prostatic hyperplasia is diagnosed um, with a correlation of history, palpation findings, and urodynamic test results. Benign prostatic hyperplasia is treated through medication, surgery, 
Um, the medications used are 5-alpha reductase inhibitors to shrink the glandular tissue. Alpha-androgenic blockers are used for the relaxation of smooth muscle tissue of the prostate, uh, bladder, neck, and urethra. Surgical intervention is used to alleviate the obstruction of urine flow by prostate resection, incision, and thermotherapy. And the prognosis for benign prosthetic hyperplasia can uh, contribute to chronic problems with lower urinary tract symptoms, erectile dysfunction, and decreased quality of life. Moving on to our last disease for today, uh, prostate cancer, which 90% of prostate cancers arise from glandular cells. Ductal and transitional cell carcinomas make up the remainder of tumors. Prostate cancer usually starts in the outer portion of the gland and moves inward. And it is a, the third most common cause of death from cancer. The pathogenesis of prostate cancer is adenocarcinoma with well-defined glands lined by cuboidal cells with large nuclei and prominent large nucleoli. Um, increased PSA can also be caused by BPH or prostatesis. Um, irregular firm nodules ar arising from peripheral groups of glands, uh, peripheral zone of the posterior lobe to be more specific. And the clinical manifestations of prostate cancer include frequently it's it is frequently asymptomatic until it is advanced, but when it is advanced, there is dysuria, increased urinary frequency, hematuria, um, symptoms of bladder outlet obstruction, straining, hesitancy, weak or intermittent urine stream, sense of incomplete emptying, terminal dripping, um, and back pain if bone metastasis. And that uh, concludes our final installment of the exam two for clinical medicine. Thank you for studying with me. Thank you for listening and hope this helps. Maybe I'll get hundreds and once again, best of luck.